probably further. <laughs> and there oh, you go. Yeah, yeah, so, oh gosh, um, I don't know. There's a, a, a long history of, of um, being, I guess, politically active, <laughs> to be polite about it, yeah. um, in my family. On my, on my mom's side, um, I, my memory has it that my great-grandma was a suffragist. Uh -huh. And then uh, my grandma and grandpa on this side, Adams, were, um, they actually met uh, working for the Socialist Party in Chicago. And grandpa, grandpa, grandma had grown up um, Jewish in Hyde Park, mm -hmm. and grandpa had grown up in, um, I guess, Downers Grove, which at that time was just country. Yeah. And he'd always had a dream of having a farm. So um, they ended up moving down here and getting 40 acres out by Lake Kincaid. Mm -hmm. And my grandpa hand built his house. And there's actually a newspaper article about him hand building the house that they lived in. That's where my mom grew up out, out there. Wow. And uh, yeah, my uncle used to tell me stories of like having to hand bring water up and they had a gravity toilet, so he'd have to go pour it. And yeah, it was rustic. <laughs> yeah, <r> <laughs> yeah, rustic's a rustic. word. Rustic's a word to use in that case. Um, unfortunately, the house isn't, isn't there any longer, but I got a chance to see it a number of years ago and you saw grandpa's hand-built cupboards and all that. It was oh, cool. Wow. Um, so, you know, a lot of that sort of independent spirit, I guess. Yeah. And that's how I was raised, because I was raised with both my, my dad, who lived in Chicago and New York, but I grew up here, for the most part, with my grandparents and my mm -hmm. mom. And, um, you know, I mean, every, anybody who's been in Carbondale for a long time knows that my grandparents were, you know, very involved around here. They helped um, found the Unitarian Fellowship and mm -hmm. the Women's Center. My grandma was, was one of the... Really? Yeah, she was one of the first people to, um, they were like, I think, just a small group of women who started that. And um, and then, you know, my mom and dad, of course, were highly active back when. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm, I'm old now, so people say back when about me. Um, so I was back, back when. Um, Everybody's got a different idea of oh what back God, when it's is. driving me crazy. I know, <laughs> oldies songs. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, so they were, my mom was, so they were both in SDS, which was yeah. Students for a Democratic Society. Um, and um, I don't even know where to go with that. But there was, I grew up in a commune. Well, I was born into a commune in Berkeley, mm -hmm. uh, which is where my mom and dad lived when I was born. And we lived there for my first few years of life. Huh. Um, so yeah, hippies, definitely hippies in Berkeley. <laughs> now hold that thought because before we get too far into the coming to Carbondale after <laughs> Berkeley story, we're going to break for the intro to okay. WTF Carbondale, the podcast, the WTF Carbondale podcast, where we talk to interesting people about their interesting lives and tie it all back to this little place we call home, Carbondale, Illinois, episode 92. Don Roberts, somebody that I should know much better than I do with the work that we do together. That's neither here nor there. So <laughs> uh, a, a hippie commune in Berkeley. Yes, yeah, so it was called the circus. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm to, uh, uh, I guess, plug a name names. Um, Country Joe and the Fish practiced in our garage. I guess one of the guys lived with us. I don't know. I was too young to remember. <laughs> I was like five. Um, but we, I lived here for preschool. We mm -hmm. moved around a bunch. I moved here for preschool and then was back in Berkeley for first grade and then here for second grade. And then um, my, my mom and dad split when I was little. And so then I was in Urbana with my mom for third, fourth and fifth grades mm -hmm. while she worked on her master's. And then we came back down here to live with my grandparents in sixth grade through 11th grade. 
and then I moved to Berkeley again for my last year of high school. <laughs> and then back here, and then Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but that, that's, that's so, that's just an, like, to, to have that mirror of, like, Berkeley to, to look at Carbondale through, right, that lens, not so much Carbondale's much better. There you go. Yes. <laughs> I, you know, I, I mean, the Bay Area has its benefits, yeah. definitely. I mean, the weather's great. <laughs> but it's, when I lived there when I was older, because I, I lived there a couple more times mm-hmm. over the years, um, it's just very competitive. Yeah. Like in Carbondale, we've got this amazing music scene, and it's because everybody's so cooperative. You know, yeah. people work together. They build each other up. And that's same with pretty much everything that happens here, the artist scene, you know, all the community, which mm-hmm. is part of why I moved back, yeah. is because cause people work together. Mm-hmm. They want to make things better together and build each other up and, and help each other. Whereas in the Bay Area, I found that people were extraordinarily competitive mm-hmm. and cutthroat. And it was, you know, who's the weirdest? And it was just, I didn't like it. No, yeah. I didn't like it at all. Much the, better here. The, the difference between like living as part of something versus living a part <laughs> yeah, yeah. From, from something, yeah. you know, even though you may be in space, right? Like physically. Right, right, exactly. I mean, there's tons of creative stuff going on there, of course. I mean, there's some amazing um, things. And I, I got, you know, I had the luck to work with some pretty cool people out there. I got yeah. to wear a survival research laboratories um, thing, contraption at a performance. Yeah, all sorts of neat stuff. <laughs> but I'd still rather be here. Yeah. So you so you've 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 been kind of all over the place. I mean, you were talking about before the podcast, even the shirt that you're wearing is yeah. your your <laughs> your motorcycling. I don't want to. I don't just want to straight out say MC. Because what, wait, right. You're you're, you're, yeah, enth- no. you're, you're, you're enthusiast. Your motorcycling enthusiast. enthusiast group. Yes, yes. We we didn't have colors. There was no initiation. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I've been part of different groups over the years. Um, I've been riding since I was in well. I was going to say writing since I was in high school, but I had a scooter when I was in high school because my mom wouldn't let me get a motorcycle. <laughs> so that was fun. <laughs> Living out in the sticks and then having to ride into town on a 50cc scooter. Yeah, it was. And just hope that like every hill was downhill. Pretty much. Yeah, I could get I could get maybe 35 downhill with a tailwind. <laughs> so it's like going down Pleasant Hill Road, catch that air, go down. Yeah. And I can't, I'm sure people drove just as crazy then as they do now. There were, roads. you know, there were fewer, I mean, it was different because we had more college students, yeah. but they were in town, in town, Yeah. but outside, I mean, I grew up in Union Hills, which at that point was just this sort of country area yeah. and, and the road in wasn't, it was, um, was it blacktop, the stuff that when it gets hot, it bubbles and you poke at it. Maybe. I yeah. Think, yeah. So, you know, it wasn't, it, there was no line down the middle of it. Like there is now, there were some really sharp curves which were a lot of fun <laughs> it wasn't exactly smooth it was not smooth but you know but like there's sections like when you hit um you get off pleasant hill road and you turn up mclafferty i mean that's a 45 mile per hour road and yeah. i was on my scooter which you know could maybe do 30 32 yeah. and um so i was just kind of like i just tucked down and <laughs> go <laughs> so what was your first what was your first like real motorcycle um the first one I owned, because I rode around on friends' bikes a fair amount. Yeah, yeah. But when I moved to Seattle when I was 20, 19, 20, mm-hmm. um, I had a, um, an old um, Honda 400 
it was actually a 400 twin, not the really cool 404, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was a 400 twin, but it was, the thing was a tank. Like, I didn't know anything about upkeep or I don't think I checked the oil once. And <laughs> you just ran I just rode, yeah, I just rode <laughs> and I rode and I rode the hell out of it. Um, and it was awesome. I mean, I learned how to, you know, riding in Seattle, like every place I've lived has, has had its own things that you learn. Yeah. So, you know, riding in Seattle, I learned a lot about riding in the rain yeah. and wet conditions. Um, when I rode in the Bay Area, um, I learned how to ride on hills, you know, mm-hmm. and how to, you know, you get in San Francisco, you're, you have to figure out the clutch brake ratio yeah. to not roll backwards when yeah. you're on a hill. Um, you know, learn twisty roads in um, Chicago. I, I rode exclusively in the city almost. Mm-hmm. And so I learned a lot about um, urban riding, yeah. hooligan riding. And um, I love a good hooligan ride, it was, man. It was so much fun. <laughs> it was so much fun. Um, and then, and then in Phoenix, you know, it gets hotter than hell there. Yeah. So y- you learn about um, protecting the seat when you're in some place. I, you know, I made this weird cover at one point, and then at some point, I just gave up, and you just burn your butt and your hands, and well, you, not your. I mean, you wear gloves, but yeah. yeah. I, th- I, this is this is enthralling to me because it's insight that not every motorcycle enthusiast has right like yours is quite a unique perspective in that you have adapted your riding style to whatever the physical environment that you're existing in is yeah and i'm sure makes you a far more proficient and capable rider than it's got me really used to riding in lots of different types of weather that's for sure (laughs) i mean it's funny because i've i've kind of i mean i rode you around when i lived in chicago for Mm -hmm. six six or seven years, which yeah. it, it, now in retrospect, I'm like, that was really stupid. But, you know, I did it. I survived. Yeah. I mean, I've got, there were days I literally chipped my ignition uh, the, out of, you know, the ice out of uh-huh. it to turn on my motorcycle. And I had a couple different bikes and one was, was it would just, it was a, an old Suzuki XS650 and that thing would start no matter what. Uh-huh. And had a kickstart if the ignition didn't work. Um, but, you know, but around here, I, one of the things I don't like about riding around here is is just humidity sucks. Yeah, I mean, you just can't you can't get away from humidity. Yeah. I mean, at least in Phoenix, it would be hot as hell, but you could you could kind of you know you could open up the vents in your jacket, mm-hmm. and when we come through, and it was you know it was a dry heat, so it it just you didn't get that heavy feeling like you do here. When you when you take off the gear and you hear, yeah, exactly. And it's like, you the just mesh is wet. just like tied to you. Yeah. 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 Oh. You have to like peel it off. That's fun. <laughs> That's it. That's the way to describe it. Yeah. You have to peel off yeah. the gear. Yeah. Not so, not so much fun. So, I mean, I still, um, I haven't been riding a lot lately. I kind of switched to when I lived in, so when I lived in Prescott, mm-hmm. Arizona, which is north of Phoenix, it's kind of between Phoenix and Flagstaff-ish. Um, but it's up in the, it's kind of up in the mountains. So it's at elevation and we had trees. It mm-hmm. was gorgeous. Um, if honestly, if Prescott had the community like Carbondale does, yeah. that would be the perfect place. Cause it's dry. You don't have the bugs like yeah. you do here. No, the bugs too. I mean, oh, it's God, just, I hate people the bugs. don't understand like how God, they, it's horrible. Bug, yeah. Bugs, I hate bugs it. make writing not fun. I, I, I just, you know, that's funny. Cause I, I love being back here, uh-huh. but I hate the humidity. I hate the bugs. <laughs> I hate, you know, just our weather kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's only going to get better it's, as I our know. climate turns more into the swamp and less yep. from the... 
We're getting we're gonna get some alligators soon. <laughs> People thought that armadillos were crazy in southern. Yeah, Illinois. wait Just till they're in wait. crab orchard. <laughs> Alligator comes up. That's gonna be fun. <laughs> With a tire in its mouth, going. Did y'all forget this? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great small town alligators. <laughs> That's what we need. Uh, There's another good book title. The um, right. Did 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 motorcycles precede punk rock, or did punk rock precede motorcycles? I think they were intertwined. I think. I mean, I know that because I had my scooter when I was, I guess, 16. Yeah. When I could, you know, when I could first drive, and I I had my Mohawk because I got I I think I got my first Mohawk when I was 15. So I saw, so, you know, I had my blue Mohawk when I was 16. So I had my scooter and my mom wouldn't let me get a black scooter. Yeah. Cause I, you know, of course I had my black leather and my combat boots. And um, so I got a red scooter and then she made me get a helmet. So I got an orange helmet and then she made me put reflective tape on it. So I put a cross on the front and the black flag flag on the back and reflective <laughs> tape. And it seems like there was something else. I don't even remember. No, I guess that was it for the safety gear. And, you know, I may wore my leather jacket because mm-hmm. it was tough, but it yeah. also kept me from getting scraped up, which was handy. Yeah. Um, but I had, yeah, so I had my, my blue mohawk sticking out of my orange helmet. And I would, to get to school, I would go through Greek Row, which, uh-huh. which you know, at the time is off McLaughlin, and you yeah. take a right there. Yeah. So I, I'd go through Greek Row and get yelled at frequently. <laughs> 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 it was a blast. I had, I had so much fun. I'd put my, I'd, I'd put so much hairspray in my mohawk that I, I'd fold it over and put my helmet on, and I'd take my helmet off, and my mohawk would bounce back up. <laughs> it was great. Good old days. So you had a lot of early exposure to uh, to college, like not ju- not just like yeah. in the sense of like, ah, uh, you know, what whatever whatever exposure just by living in town or having you know uh, your mom work at the, the university or whatever it yeah. may have been, but like that it came through just as well driving through it and like watching it as you grew up. It around it was you. you know I don't think. I think growing up here was probably the best thing that could have happened for me because yeah. I was I was a pretty angry kid. And I think growing up here where I had, it was a small town, but I still had the university, so yeah. I had some outlet. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't get into too much trouble mm-hmm. <laughs> because, you know, which I discovered in, when I lived in Berkeley for my last year of high school, just, just, when I lived here, punk rockers were punk rock because they were too, they were smart, you know, they were smart. Yeah. They were intelligent, they, they were, they were, critical thinkers of the system. Mm-hmm. When I moved to Berkeley, so many of the punks I, I knew out there were just punk because they were just fucked up. Huh. And and so it was, it was a very different scene. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of, obviously there were a lot of smart things. There was a lot of, you know, active stuff obviously going on at Gilman Street and all yeah. that, but, um, but it was just very different. And I liked it here partially because of that cooperation yeah. uh, that I talked about. Um, but it was also, you know, it was, a, it was the, early to mid 80s. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, back then, it was before flannels and combat boots were popular, you know, <laughs> not everybody was wearing them. Uh-huh. And, and so you could you could literally if you saw somebody walking on the street, with combat boots and a leather jacket, you either knew them, or you knew you were going to meet them or you wanted to meet them, you yeah. know, it was it was somebody who was going to be in your group. Yeah. Um, and because the, the punk scene, scene was pretty small. Um, and those were the years when Lost Cross started, um, the House of Voodoo started. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Six Living came on late, came up later. Um, 
And there were a bunch of other houses that, like, those are the ones that I, and, and of course, Cafe Flesh, which mm -hmm. turned into Club Romax. Those are the three that I really knew. Yeah. Um, you know, there were others, like, I know that 138 kind of did their own, did their thing, and there were, you know, a bunch of other um, places that had shows or, you know, did other stuff, but I wasn't as keyed into those ones. But I spent uh, most of my time at Voodoo. But that's, but that's still, like, that's just a good, I mean, j just to have this, this kind of working memory of, you know the the scene at the time mm -hmm. right and like how it is reflective of still even even with the with the you know leech talent that that we have having having lost a lot of the yeah. the energy that would otherwise otherwise occupy the houses and performance spaces and whatnot that it's still like there's still lineage to all of this yeah and it's like somehow grandpa's still hanging around over in I the know. back but <laughs> I know it's funny because over the years, I you know I found myself like you know of course right in the pit uh -huh. when I was younger, and then and then you know I'd go go to shows later, and I'd kind of go up front a little bit, but then I'd run out of energy, so I'd kind of step back a little bit, <laughs> and now I'm just standing at the back like ah eh, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the days. Exactly, <laughs> you kids aren't moshing properly. <laughs> So before we get into like the the more in depth stuff where you spent more of your time voodoo house and 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 the like, what were your what were your kind of experiences that you had at the time with with Lost Cross? Uh, you know, I, oh. obviously we're, we're we're coming up on where we're at. I'm slotting you in here, kind of in the mix right. with with all the because you've got a you've got a component of the punk of of the early punk rock story that that some of the other folks that may have like the 90s <laughs> and the early 2000s aren't going to have as much of. So it was kind of a good fit to to slide you in here. Yeah, and most of my most of my lost cross memories are. I mean, I was blurry. underage. No. <laughs> yeah, there, so it might be a little blurry. Right. <laughs> you know, I may or may not have been very drunk and you know stoned most of the time. <laughs> Um, but, um, you know, some of my earliest memories of there were, cause you know, they'd recently moved in and they're, um, they, they had, they had furniture that was basically just Schaefer cases uh -huh. stacked up for a table and, you know, <laughs> something put on top of it. Um, but you know, the walls were clear of stuff. <laughs> oh, and um, empty, empty walls at Lost empty Cross. Walls at Lost Cross. <laughs> um, the, after after not too long, the bathroom became un, unusable. It was just a, kind of a scary place to go, even for <laughs> even for as tough as I was. The bathroom at Lost Cross was a place to be reckoned with. Um, yeah, and you know it's funny because I really I spent so much time there, but yeah, like I said, my memories are a little blurry. Blurry, yeah. <laughs> but more 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 into where you were at with Voodoo House. Yeah, and well, and that's because I hung out with um, when I first, I guess when I first sort of started getting into punk rock. Uh -huh. um, my some of it was so my my cousin lived in Houston, and we were like sisters, mm -hmm. and so she'd send me music, and so she so she kind of introduced me to some you know some some stuff, and then we were um, fourteen and at the mall. <laughs> And we saw these two punk rock guys. Ooh, you know. Hot. Yeah. And so we went up and talked to them. And they were they were these two guys who had just gotten you know they were just in town for for SIU for mm -hmm. school, and uh, we were obviously very young. <laughs> and so so you know then we chit chatted. I think I gave you know I gave one of them my phone number, yeah. and, and that was that. And then it was about I guess the next fall or so I got a phone call, and it was Steve, who's Steve Ziegler, who was um, from House of Voodoo. Uh huh. And he was Sorry, like, hey, House of Voodoo, I'll try not to screw that up. 
in the future. What'd you call it? I Voodoo House. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know, so far off base. <laughs> Anywho, sorry. So, but yeah, so he he called me. He was like, hey, you remember you know, we met at the mall? <laughs> <laughs> A year ago. It sounds so, so 80s. <laughs> well, um, it is. That's yeah. okay. <laughs> and so, and I don't remember... He was living, he and Levi, I think he was living um, on Monroe Street, up mm-hmm. above what then was the jeweler's, what, what jeweler was that? On which street again? It was Monroe and, and the Strip, Monroe and Illinois. It was right in the corner. McNeil Jewelers, McNeil Jewelers, Yeah, I mean, I McNeil sounds right. Yeah. Uh, that was, that's, that's there were three apart, there were. Steve McNeil would have been the, yeah. Yeah, so. and there were three apartments up there. Yeah. A, B, and C. Yep. Um, so Steve lived in so A for a while. Still exist. Do they? Yeah. Nice. Right there on the corner. Yeah, because that's, that's awesome. Carbondale Tourism Office now. Oh, no right? kidding. Right? Like, I've right, never been in there. Right, right there at Monroe and Illinois. They, they took over that spot. Yeah, right there at the corner with okay. the three apartments upstairs. Sorry, I didn't mean oh, to get okay. us off track. I just, no. like, I'm thinking through it and going, yeah, yeah, yeah it's totally It's kind of neat it watching how, I mean, one of the neat things about leaving and coming back and leaving yeah. and coming back and leaving and coming back <laughs> is, is just seeing the, how things change. Yeah. You know, and, and how things stay the same. And, and some of the changes have been not fabulous but some are just kind of interesting yeah um but yeah so he lived up there and so they were kind of the the him and levi and then the people who lived in c which were uh, neil and vicky and um was lillian up there melissa um they all kind of raised me they were Uh like you know like my punk rock family who who (laughs) raised me from a little punk rock yeah yeah totally um and and it really was kind of a i mean i i was i was I cut class constantly. I didn't go to school. I was, like I said, I was just kind of pissed off all the time. Punk rock fitted me really well. Yeah. Fit me. <laughs> fitted. And um, so so they just kind of took care of me. Yeah. And, it was, and it was cool because, you know, well, yes, we did things that possibly a, you know, younger person might not, should you know shouldn't have been doing yeah drinking and partying too hard yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah you yeah, know yeah. um but they still they still watched out for me you yeah. know like I, I mean i remember steve talking to me about you know doing homework and and you know they always just kind of made sure that i wasn't that bad things weren't happening yeah, to me yeah um because they were still the smart punks Exactly. (laughs) Right. Like, if you're going to grow up and challenge the system, you're going to need a brain to do it with. (laughs) Don't don't totally mess it up and don't go do stupid shit. Um, I mean, we did lots of stupid shit. (laughs) Because, you know, I mean, they were, what, 18, 19? Yeah. Um, But, you know, but we did stuff like, I mean, I, I remember just silly shit. Like, I don't remember what prompted this but we always had you know obviously issues with the frat houses yeah and so i remember going around and you know swerk guns out of cars and shooting <laughs> swerk guns at them and um what is this sour milk <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> so yeah it was um it was a good time american gas and wash was was there where i don't know whatever that big gas station is that's on uh-huh Maine. And that was like a never mind, cut that whole part. I don't even know where I was going with that. Just having the people there that built community that you were welcomed into. And like while at the same time there wouldn't have been necessarily as much push and pull about whether or not it was cool for you to be out there, because mom was probably a little bit more comfortable on like, hey, let my daughter have some leeway and some some free spiritedness and 
so, okay. sort of. To I an mean, extent, right. to an extent. I mean, the funny thing is, because I remember like one time bringing, um, so Don, Rob, Jim, and Aaron, um, let's see, Jim and Aaron, I think, were plaid retina eventually. Mm -hmm. um, Rob, Rob is Rob Koss, and he got into tattooing, uh -huh. um, and he's, he's absolutely brilliant. Um, he's in Switzerland and has a tattoo um, place over there called oh, Triple cool. X Tattoo. And, and they're always, like, booked out, like, a few years. Yeah, I mean, he's amazing. Advance. Something crazy. Um, but, but at the time, the four of them lived in the towers. And um, I don't remember how I met them, but we all hung out a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, I brought them all out to my mom's, to my grandparents' house uh -huh. one day. And I don't remember why, <laughs> but I was like, yeah, come on out. Because, you know, they were all these, you know, guys from Chicago and yeah. and so so they, they took them out to the country. Yeah, they never had experience <laughs> like this that you no. were about to provide And them. of course, my grandma, my mom, you know, every, grandpa, they were all giving them food. And yeah. It, you know, there's these punk rock guys standing there looking out onto the this beautiful vista of trees. <laughs> <laughs> I always love that juxtaposition. Um but so, you know, so my mom, you know, she'd met Steve. She, you know, she knew the people I was hanging out with yeah. and she trusted them. Yeah. Which, I mean, they were good people. Yeah. And so, but I still had a curfew. So I missed <laughs> a lot of fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, but oftentimes I was able to just crash over there as well. Yeah. You know, I'd crash on the couch at Voodoo sometimes. Um, or like when James would have his parties out at his folks' house in Cobden. Yeah. Those were awesome because they'd... Um, what were they called? Damn, I don't remember what they were called now. Um, but it was it was basically the, um, like Hasenluck Totengrabber played down there, which was um, this kind of industrial group band. What was the name again? Hasen Hasenluck Totengrabber. I think I'm pronouncing it right. Yeah, it's been sure. a long it's been a yeah. long time. Ballpark. <laughs> yeah, but you know, but they'd haul amps down there and everything, and we'd all we'd all just go camp. And, you know, drink and have bottle rockets. And it was, yeah. And it was out in the country. Yeah. And it was great. You just chill. <laughs> and you don't get that. You don't get that when you live in the I mean, when you live in the city, you know, you live in Berkeley. I remember it was just, there's nowhere to go. Yeah. You just like, go, you go to Denny's, you go mess around in the city. You know, it's, you go find some abandoned warehouse or something where there's lots of glass and things to throw break <laughs> <laughs> not here where it's like there's a wide open space where you can just kind of like let let your mind kind of wander out yeah into it. yeah exactly yeah i like is it was a good place to be just the the juxtaposition to berkeley just really kind of takes me back on this like to have to have those two different like viewpoints on on the development of punk rock right as a as a global phenomenon it's kind of a Right. There, there aren't a whole lot of people that have really the, the big city and the small town <laughs> view on this, nor for either of these places. You know, I'm not trying to sit here and be like, oh, Berkeley is the bastion of some bastion of punk rock. Like, it just happens to be a town in California that by virtue a lot of, of being... stuff happened there. Yeah. Happens there. Yeah. You know, so so by, by virtue of that, you know, obviously something's going to happen there. But, like, there's no expectation that something like this would pop up and 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 be as impactful this Southern many years Illinois. down the line yeah yeah carbondale carbondale's the center of the universe <laughs> <laughs> so how many times have you left and come back and left and come back since i was a kid or since i was an adult oh let's do adult now i think we've i think i think adult okay. we've got a or, uh, kid we've got a good idea of like well let's see so well i'll start you know the last year of high school yeah. i was in berkeley and then i came back for a year of college and then i went to seattle for four years 
and then Austin for winter, and then Berkeley, <laughs> and then Vancouver, Canada, <laughs> and then Oakland again. And then I came back here. So that was in 98. Yeah. I came back here. And then, um, and then I had a little bit of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> what year was the infamous pie in the face? That was the end of 90. No, beginning of 2000. Beginning of 2000. I'm like either 99 or 2000 or somewhere right <laughs> in there. I can't, I can't remember like which was the incident and which was the, you know, court related legal oh so there stuff. was there it was it was more than just written off as haha it's a pie of the face oh, it was yeah i mean i didn't i didn't have to like go to court and trial and you know have a whole thing but i had um rich whitney was my lawyer nice. and he had to he had to you know make some agreements and work things out <laughs> and i had to go before the judge uh-huh. all of that fun stuff um so yeah i mean i was i was i was i was lucky i mean i was i was honestly I was lucky I did it when I did it, if that kind of yeah. sounds weird, but um, it got, it got, I got arrested as a felony, mm-hmm. but then um, Rich was able, he got it down to a misdemeanor, thank God, because otherwise I wouldn't be able to vote our own guns, which yeah. is just bullshit. Um, you, you would be able to vote in Illinois, but that's a whole different, we'll, we don't have to go down to the specifics of right. how to restore voting rights, but that, right. that is important. But yeah, no, it, no owning guns, that would suck. And that would really suck, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And... Um, but, but it took a you know it took a while, yeah. and the, and the judge was very much didn't want you know a media circus, which is part of why it took it took about a year before it all got resolved. Give it the time to die down, yeah, go away, and then whenever a verdict comes down, it's right. not front page news still. Exactly. I mean, uh-huh. it did get followed up on. There were some articles. I got called. You know, I was I had moved to Chicago at that point, uh-huh. and so I got you know calls by a couple reporters. Um, and when Ryan went. Um, to jail or to prison actually. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> then when when the guy I the governor that I pied got arrested right. um, subsequently, um, I got a couple calls after that. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of and now we go to the expert on the scene, Don <laughs> right. Roberts, who once pied the now <laughs> jailed governor in the face. Wait, she was <laughs> right. He was a corrupt motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Is that what wait, was there a particular motivation? behind it at the time that like is still vivid in your mind or is it just like general like there was a lot of there was i mean it was very university oriented at the time um there was you know we'd we'd done a whole ton of research follow you know follow the money Mm -hmm. and found a lot of corruption and and graft and you know money that should have gone to students that went into pockets oh okay and you know the governor is ultimately the one who answers to this because he's the one who um you know, um, appoints the board of trustees mm-hmm. and, you know, all of this. And we tried to get, you know, attention. We tried to, you know, we tried to do this. We tried to, you know, we tried all the sort of, what, what was the, what was the group you were working with at the time? Do you um, we, we created a group called <laughs> wanted something that was like, sounded very, you know, good and happy and, uh-huh. and, and constructive. So it was students for excellence in education. Brilliant. And it was called C, so we had an I. Very, very <laughs> tricksy, you know. Very clever. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm laughing at myself. <laughs> no, I. Here's the deal, right? But that's, but that is, but that is like textbook. That is a, that is a play out of the problem participants in the system. That's a, that's a play out of their own book, right? Take something that's, that maybe 
you know, have a have have a right. point of contention on the back end of it and give it a official sounding name. Right. And then it's much easier to thread the needle with things exactly. than if you're just like students who are upset about corruption and, and we're going to go beat you up. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, and it's I mean, the yes men, they just came to town to do a talk. They do. I mean, they don't do what I did, uh-huh. but they do that same kind similar kind of, you know, they, they present this you know, professional look yeah. that gives them tons of access. Yeah. And that's that's actually something I discovered when I lived in Chicago was mm-hmm. because I had to get, you know, job. <laughs> yeah. And and so I had to start wearing sort of, you know, businessy clothes. Mm-hmm. And I discovered this whole world that I had not known previously because I'd just been this kind of, you know, scrubby punk yeah. for all those years. That when you look like, you know, business professional, mm-hmm. you can walk into any building and nobody looks at you. Yeah. It's just, it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing what appearance does. It is amazing yeah. what appearance does. It yeah. is, it is, um, yeah, I think it could be utilized a lot better than it is. But that's a whole nother story. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, um, so the, the pieing was kind of, I mean, you know, I grew up with, you know, like we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. with, you know, family who was very much politically active yeah. and, and, you know, learning all my life about um, direct action and um, political dissent and, um, you know, pieing has a has an extraordinarily long history yeah. in, in political actions. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, it, it's not something unique or new. Um, but it's something that has this comedic, yet very pointed, obviously, yeah, yeah. Um, aspect to it. And at the actually at the time, oh, hang on a second. <laughs> Sorry, no, my, my wrist is ringing. Um, <laughs> yay, technology! The magic of technology. God, yep. I love it. I love it. It's so James Bond. Um, <laughs> the little kid of me with the you know with the little calculator on the wrist uh-huh. in the eighties just. Oh my god! Mind every day when you giddy. wake up, this thing's on absolutely your wrist. giddy. Yeah, I wish <laughs> my dad died in two thousand and six, and and he he just he was like a child, a giddy child with uh-huh. technology. He loved it. So every time something new comes out, I'm like, damn, I wish I could show this to my dad. Oh man! No, oh, he would. Yeah, he would. This would have made him giddy. Um, Did you have a good relationship with both your parents? For the most part, yeah. I mean, my mom and I, when I was a kid. Um, we're very different people. You know, yeah. I'm definitely a lot more like my dad temperamental wise. Yeah. And, um, you know, my mom was very, um, sort of logical and, mm-hmm. and I'd say level headed. Even keels a good <laughs> she's way. She's a lot more good. even keel. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and she, she's, she's studious and focused Yeah. and, um, and analytical, you mm-hmm. know, deeply analytical. And so, you know, my mom's the person who I go to when I have, um, something I need to, I, I need to figure out sort of, you know, analytically or, or critically, th- you know, or, or to chew over like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my dad was also deeply political, but my dad was also very, he had more of a creative and sort of spiritual side. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whereas my mom was raised Unitarian, even though that my grandma was Jewish, you know, mostly raised Unitarian. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my dad grew up with New York Jews and so he was raised, you know, bar mitzvah, the whole thing. So mm-hmm. he grew up kind of with with religion built in. Um, and then as he got older, he got more into Buddhism. And he used to say he was huh. a practicing Buddhist. He just needed more practice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, so my dad was who I went to for what, what he and I used to call the existential heebie-jeebies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, anxieties, um, 
existential fears and yeah. concerns, you know, things like that. What, um, what, what kind of work can we do to expel the demons that are? Yeah, actually, I've got a back tattoo for from exactly a conversation kind of about that. Really? Yeah, he and I were, I was, must have been when I was around 17, and he'd taken me to Lake Tahoe. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, I mean, Lake Tahoe is just immense. It's it's unreal immense. And, um, you know, I, I come from the Midwest. Yeah. And so we're up there, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. If every time I stepped outside, it felt like it was just this this something completely separate, cut off from from me, and I didn't really know how to describe it. I just couldn't connect to it. I it just felt super unreal, and so I, I'd go back inside, yeah. and and read. And my dad thought I was just being this petulant teenager. And eventually, I was like, No, I just I can't I can't go outside. It mm-hmm. just there's something wrong. And so he he coaxed me into going and sitting by the lake. And, and talking, and he said, you know, if you keep a fear inside, it it it, it gives it power, yeah. it, it builds, it lets it gnaw at you. But if you talk about it, it gets out in the open and it it um, and it releases, it, it dispels its fear, it doesn't have power over you anymore. And so I tried to tell him what I was feeling and what I was going through, and eventually I realized that we were just having a conversation. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't feeling all balled up and weird inside anymore um so i got a back tattoo years a few years later actually rob did my this is my first tattoo of a bird uh-huh. on my back with the wings spread because in our conversation one of the things that that he had said to me is you know we were, we were talking about fear and possibilities and how when you do something you have to do it fully yeah and so when you jump off you know you try something new you're jumping off a cliff into the unknown and so he said, you know, when you jump off that cliff, you, ha- you have to give it your full you. You have yeah. to spread your wings and soar because otherwise you're just going to plummet down and it's not going to work. Yeah. Or, you, you know, you're going to die a big bald mess of blood and gore. <laughs> but he didn't say that. Um, but, you know, but if you, when you try something, you really you have to give it your all because what you don't give it will, will pull you down. Yeah. And so I got the, the tattoos to remind me of that conversation. How does that play into the world you're operating in now with virtual reality. Cause I oh. feel like there's a strong tie in. I could see that. I could see that. I mean, I worked, so I discovered early on that I was really good with computers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did computer stuff on my mom's computer when I was a kid, um, programming on her, you know, her old K pro in the eight, like 85. And, um, you know, and then over the years, I kind of messed around with stuff. Yeah. And so I went into, I just kind of, by happenstance, I just, I went into computer, into IT as my profession. Mm -hmm. And so I did that for years and I left a job in Prescott um, because it just was, it was, it was a great job. I was working IT at a hospital, Yeah. but the IT department was, was just toxic. Messing. I mean, it was, yeah, it was, it was like you would expect an it's, IT department to be exactly in that yeah. period of time. I mean, which, which ties directly into like your punk rock, no bullshit. Don't <laughs> mess with me. Like I have my own center kind of attitude. Pretty like, much. Fit that mold oh, of gosh. having to break the mold. Yeah. And you, you work in a place where you've got all these guys who are being jackasses yeah. and you just, it just, yeah, get fed up with it after a while. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, I loved I loved the work I was doing. I, I loved the people at the hospital. Yeah. They were fantastic. Um, but I I just had enough. So I went. That I left on the road. I had a camper in my truck. So I just went and camped for six months as far away from humans as I could. Uh -huh. And then I got a call from an old friend from here, actually, um, who is who asked me if I was looking for work. And I said, sure. And she said, well, come work with me at IBM. Yeah. So I went to work with I at IBM, which was just corporate oh, hell. Yeah. Corporate yeah. hell. <laughs> I did not fit in at all. That's when you had to put on your suit and walk through oh, the door. And... Oh, my God. I mean, well, the nice thing was, was we weren't customer-facing, so we uh -huh. could kind of wear whatever we wanted. Yeah. But it's still it's still corporate hell. And it, yeah. yeah, I, I do not function in that environment very well. So I was really glad when I got laid off uh -huh. a year later and, um, went back and can went camping again mm -hmm. for another five months. And then I decided to come home. And so when I got home, I decided to go back to school and get my master's mm -hmm. because I wanted to get away from computer. I was like, I'm yeah. done. I'm done with computers. I'm going to change my career. Yeah. And, um, so I started my master's in social work and, but before that, so to back up a little bit, all those years I'd never gotten my bachelor's. So when I got back here, I had to finish my bachelor's. Mm -hmm. I had about a year to go. So I, had, I took, you know, math, <laughs> English 101 and 102. Mm -hmm. And then I had to take a couple electives. And one of those electives was a class called um, um, Intro to Fiction Writing. Mm -hmm. And that class was taught by Professor Pickney Benedict. Uh -huh. Just so happens that Professor Benedict is very into technology yeah. and you know he wants his writers because he's a creative writing professor he wants his writers to be able to make a living when they get out mm -hmm. so his you know his idea was teach him how to podcast teach them how you know all these technologies so that they could make a living mm -hmm. and gaming is you know this huge obviously huge um thing and so writing for gaming for virtual reality was part of his teaching. So I took the next class with him, which was just virtual reality. So we mm -hmm. had the whole class in VR. And that was when the pandemic hit, which was kind of perfect timing because we <laughs> didn't have to go in person. Yeah. Um, but that's about, that's around when I was deciding to go to grad school. Um, and I was like, okay, how can I combine virtual reality with social work? Mm -hmm. And when I started the social work um, classes, I quickly realized that there was an you know, some excellent fit for it in training. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of kept going from there. And now, of course, I, you know, it's, I'm, I'm like all about VR. <laughs> um, and I've since actually switched my um, grad major to public health. Mm -hmm. And VR can also fit very well with that. So a friend of mine from the English class, the English VR class, and I are starting our own business mm -hmm. to do virtual reality development. So that's kind of what we're in progress of doing right now. Um, is this cra I know it's like, well, so much for getting away from computers. Yeah, <laughs> I just, right. I mean, it's I once, like it. once you're out, it pulls you right oh, back in. It's like Carbondale. <laughs> <laughs> it just sucks you right back. I was so close, and now I'm. <laughs> I'm just trying to get away. Yeah. I'm so far now. I'm exactly. So close. But no, it's 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 fantastic. I really feel like I found. Um, you know, I've had such a a life of such variation mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm really able to pull from so many different experiences mm -hmm. and parts of my life that inform what I'm doing right now. Yeah. And, and I love that so much. I mean, what you're doing right now is like building worlds. <laughs> it's so cool. It's so cool. <laughs> I mean, literally you've went on the headset, you're in a whole, yeah, it's amazing. I love it. 
when did you first get to experience VR at the level which you now use it on a regular basis? Um, in Pickney's class. Wow. I mean, really not that long ago. I mean, I, obviously I knew about it, but, mm-hmm. and I, and I, my stepbrother, um, he actually was, he had gotten, he's worried, he's all but, he's ABD in um, informatics from University of Illinois, from mm-hmm. U of I in Urbana. Um, and his focus was um, was AR was augmented reality. Mm-hmm. So you know, so he and I talked a lot about that over the few years, um, and it really interested me. But then, as soon as, as honestly, as soon as I first experienced VR, I was I was just I was sold. Yeah. That was it. I mean, I love AR. A- augmented reality also has a, some amazing utility, but VR is just so damn cool. It's so. It's funny though, because I, I go back and forth. I've got this, all my life I've had this push-pull between mm-hmm. the city me, you know, the, the, the girl who grew up in Berkeley mm-hmm. and the girl who grew up in Carbondale in Southern yeah. Illinois. And it's it's been there my entire life and it, it intersects even now where I have this these moments of like, but virtual reality isn't real and you need to connect more with, with the real earth and the real, you know, I go out, I have a garden, you know, and yeah. I go garden and I'm like, this is what's real. Why are you doing that stuff? But what is reality well, anymore then I, at this point, right? That becomes exactly. a critical question. Exactly. I read a book years ago when I was in Canada um, called The Holographic Universe uh-huh. and it talked about the universe being a hologram and, it, you know, it, it's one of those theories that kind of, or hypotheses that kind of, you know, came about around the same time as string theory and all yeah. that stuff. I mean, I'm not basically deep, the matrix, right? I'm not deeply first in any of this, but, <laughs> but yeah, basically the matrix. Exactly. Um, and it's all really interesting to think about. Um, I can't go down the rabbit hole too far. It really messes me up. I believe so. that. I believe that wholeheartedly. Like then that's when you start to like shake. You're like, I don't like it, this. Yeah. I'm in a little corner like, rocking ah, back and forth. This is scary. Why does my brain allow me to get this far? <laughs> exactly. Yikes. See, and this is where I would have loved to talk with my dad about this stuff. Yeah. He would have been perfect to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Dang. I know. Stupid I, life. I mean, it's, 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 it is. Oops. The way that you process through memories of him and the idea of your father is very healthy, right? Like just, yeah. just the way that, that you carry him with you is very healthy. Like, is that, is that something that just came naturally or is that something that you've had to work through over the years to like? I, I mean, both, I think, well, especially this side of my family, my mom's side of the family. I mean, we've, we have, I guess this is kind of a very pragmatic, we have a very pragmatic family over here. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I was mostly raised Unitarian because here, Um, but we, we just have a fairly I guess pragmatic view of death. I mean, of course it's emotional. I mean, I was yeah. I literally stayed in bed for like 2 months after my dad died. I was devastated. Yeah. But as far as dealing with it, I think I think I was just raised with kind of tools. Yeah. In a way, um both from him and his side of my family, my aunt and I are very close. Mm-hmm. Um and from my mom's side of the family. Um he had a radio show for a bunch of years in New York um, called Connections mm-hmm. with Terry Roberts. And it was a, it was a, he had an hour talk, talk show. Wow. And, and so he, he had, and so after he, I'd been trying to, while he was still alive, I'd been trying to edit his, the, you know, the essays, the transcripts, because uh-huh. I wanted to compile them into a book and give them to him as a gift. But yeah. it was this huge daunting 
uh, task. Yeah. And so I didn't get I didn't get it finished by the time he died. And so after he died, I actually um, I had a really good I got a really good job at City College as I was working at Harold Washington College in Chicago as mm -hmm. their Apple technician. Mm -hmm. And um, I hired an editor. And so I had I had all of these transcripts yeah. edited and compiled and put into a book and I self-published it. And so that was that was a actually one really helpful way that I kind of got through my dad's death was yeah. putting together this book. And then I, I got 50 copies and sent it out to friends and family. And I still have a couple, I still have a copy or two. And um, so that helped, that helped a lot. And then after that, because I ran out of copies, yeah. I, I actually built a website. And so I put all the, I put them all on, up on, um, on a website. Yeah. And then I, but then I was able to add, like he had written all these poems cause he got, he got really into poetry and he had haikus that mostly were very silly. So I put all those up there. So that, that helped. And now, you know, when I miss him, I, can, I often go back to the book or I go to the website and read some of what he wrote and it, it just kind of gets all the feels. No, it brings, it, it, it helps. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's really nice. It, it is, you know, for, for to, to have that massive artifact yeah. Right. Just accessible. Yeah. Now, everybody's kind of got their own thing, right? Oh, it's the family photo album. It's mm -hmm. the, you know, it's the home videos. It's, you know, the letters to home. It's what, whatever it may right. be. Like yours is a very like, you know, d yeah. Tangible. <laughs> yeah. It, and I like it because, I mean, I don't really go back and look at photos. Um, I've got boxes of them. Um, and I still have a couple of boxes of his that I haven't sorted through. Mm -hmm. Every now and then I'll go and um, most of it I've gotten through. Every now and then I'll go back and look, but some of it's just excuse me. A lot, a lot of it's just Sorry, photos. I keep, I keep I've been yawning because like I got the cold air blowing on me, <laughs> and I'm just ugh. today's That's been a rough. Day. Today's just been a generally bad day. And I'll tell Same you that. Same here. I had a shitty morning. I had like, <laughs> I had a crappy morning. I was like, I don't want to do this interview. Today sucks. I was just going to watch movies. I had <laughs> a very similar feeling like come noon after like life had piled on. Right. I was just like, do I just tell Don, hey, you want to shoot for <laughs> Now I'm like really glad that we both just had a shitty day. And like right. part of what apparently both of us needed was to have this conversation. See, and that was kind of, I, that was kind of my <laughs> feeling. I was like, no, because I, I know, I told, this is what it, you know, I talked to myself, Don. Yeah. I was like, you know, you're having a shitty day, but you know that if I just, if I indulge it, yeah. I'll just stay feeling shitty. Yeah. So like, I know if I go, I'll feel better and I'll have a good time and yeah. that'll help. And so. One of the interesting things that, I'm really kind of latched on to here is kind of the idea of a complete story, right? And and where that tracks to your father, mm -hmm. where it may track to your grandfather on your mom's side, right? Right. In the work that he did coming down here. I've only like read or heard like a little blurb mm -hmm. on on what your grandfather came down to to Southern Illinois to do beyond just the, the farmland, right? Mm -hmm. But like the actual work for the government, like uh, accounting for folks and, and working to like map a need for resource and what, whatever the whatever right. the work was. I, I don't know the, or have the specifics, but it is very, it, like it, it really shows kind of the, the, the two different sets of people that, that you're kind of a product of. Like, well, it's the city and the country. Because yeah. my dad grew up in Brooklyn and my mom grew up in Ava yeah. on a farm. And the importance of like, the contextualization that both of those kinds of ways to tell the story 
provide for. Yeah, very much so. Well, and that's, I mean, then my, you know, my mom, she got her, you know, she wrote a couple of books and they were both about Union County and, you know, this region. Yep. Which, which are, the, uh, I had Amelia Blakely on. She is, or she was a student at SIU. Um, she was, she was, um, she worked for WSIU for a little bit. She's done several other news mm-hmm. um, stations and, and papers uh, around the around the region, like Indiana, Illinois, et cetera. And, like, one of the things that, like, really, like, inspired her when she was young, and mind you, she's probably only 23, give or take, at this point, was your mom's writings. That's so cool. Um, and I, it, it, I hate it because the podcast that I did with her which was a really good podcast. I had data loss on the file, so <sighs> so what I've published out there, right? Around like, nah, 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 nah. but it's it, and it, it was just cool. And I and I and I let your mom know afterwards. I was like, hey, I just mm-hmm. had uh, you know this young person on Amelia Blakely. They're you know they they are currently, but will continue to be like an influential person through the media that they that they produce and like they you know really latched onto the story that you told and like you know, the value of that. And so, That's yeah, so just, fantastic. just share, share that with your mom. And she was like, oh, cool. And like, eventually we'll get them to meet one day. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> eventually. <laughs> I lo- well, and that's, you know, for me being back here, you know, it has such, I guess, depth of meaning yeah. because, because of all these familial relationships and connections, you know, my grandma and grandpa were so involved yeah. here and, um, and, and, um, you know, my mom's been around here for ages and taught, you know, the university and I have lots of friends who took her classes and, <laughs> you know, and she's been so involved around and it just, you know, some would, some would might feel like it's, it would be hard because everybody knows you or, yeah. you know, whatever your family. But I actually, I, I think, I think because I've spent so many years just being me, mm-hmm. it's really nice going to a place where I have history yeah. and connection, you know, connections in, in the sense of, you know, when I meet somebody and, and they're like, Oh wait, you know, this person, you're friends of that person, you know, and you, there's always those kinds of interactions yeah. and that just, that just makes me happy. <laughs> so Midwestern it hurts. Oh, it, so, you know, <laughs> when I lived in Phoenix, cause you know, Midwest. Yeah. We stand in the grocery store line. We, you know, learn somebody's life story yeah. while waiting in line. Yeah, you know, we people, say goodbye 15 times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. People just think you're weird elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're standing in a grocery store and somebody does something funny and you laugh and you kind of, you know, look at the other person. Yeah, and they yeah, just and look at you like, them. what? Why are you looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> like, leave me alone. Like, you're that like, was my own life. Exactly. It's, it's the difference between living a life integrated with your surroundings and a life where you view yourself as, like, disconnected from this world right right you're just an entity unto yourself which is not true no person's an island (laughs) (laughs) so ever so true deep thoughts by john roberts so many deep thoughts i mean this is i yeah i wasn't expecting to have as much of the feels in this conversation (laughs) as we have had but it has been i mean it, it really is like yeah it's just it's just healthy like to to hear to hear some of this stuff and to think through it and, and to just like see what, you know, how you can, how you can tie together a, your, your life story with, you know, the work that you've done up to this point, but kind of what you're looking at in the future. Yeah. And like, you know, it, it really is like to, to contextualize the virtual reality work with everything else 
is interesting because mm-hmm. people just would look at it and otherwise think, oh, well, it's just entertainment or it's just me right. or it's just that or the other. But no, really, it is a handing off of an experience and the ability to generate and then right. share that experience that that really draws you into this kind of work. It seems like I mean I'm kind of making a, a broad assumption yeah, no, here based well, off what we talked about thus far. But. And it, and it it is it's sort of a synthesis of 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 all these different lives I guess I've lived because yeah. you can take I mean it's storytelling yeah. it's all storytelling and you know no matter what you're doing. I mean, all of this is storytelling. I mean, it's, everything is storytelling. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, vir- you take virtual what was, reality. What was that meme the other day that was, uh, you know, addressing AOC's dress at the Met Gala? It was like, uh, y- yes, the, the dress is performative. Your criticism of the dress is performative. And the, it's like eight other things. Life is performative. It's all performative. It's like, true. It's all it is. storytelling. That actually messed me up a long time ago. I, got, <laughs> I thought way too much about that. Right. Um, that, yeah, that kept me inside for a few days. <laughs> I was like, I can't handle the outside. Oh no, it just broke my brain. <laughs> Too much, yeah. Um, but but with virtual reality, I mean, you can. It really is a, an endless opportunity. Yeah. Of because you can you can tell any story, you can convey anything, and I love I love using it for for like for training, uh-huh. which is one of the you know the big main ideas I'm looking at is for training because. It's so experiential, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I can't wait till we get smell vision in there. That's really, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really what I'm looking forward and to. And people don't recognize that, like, it's it's not about it's it's not about like having one thing in one place and transmitting it to another. It's about having this this experience that can be interpreted through a particular device, right? That mm-hmm. like the visuals, like you're not seeing, you know, the you were seeing what a camera has captured and then transmitted through data right. to a screen or a device in front of you. You're not seeing the actual thing itself. You're seeing right. a, you know, uh, a it's, like, it's a viewfinder. Yeah. Yeah. When, when people watch this, they're not actually seeing us physically here having this conversation. Right. They are seeing it's the recorded it's representation. It's of, very, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Sorry, now I'm going down a rabbit You're hole. You're getting weight, yeah. I'm like, woo, my we, brain's about to melt. Uh, but what is real? What, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, yeah. What, what, is, what is real? Oh, well, yeah, new new Matrix, um, <laughs> you know, stuff that's out. It's, okay, cool. Well, we're back to red pill, blue pill. Great, great, <laughs> great. Square one. Good good job, Keanu Reeves. Exactly. <laughs> to go back to punk rock, though, yeah. it, it fits in. It, virtual reality is very punk rock because it's, you know, you can, it's, it's creative. You can do anything you want. You can alter your reality. You change everything, change the view. Just by simply having a thought and then expressing that. Wouldn't that be cool? Well, that's, people are actually, (laughs) that's a whole different thing. Let's scare the whole audience (laughs) off at the very end of this whole thing. I know. Here's, here's the big, uh, you know, Thanos like tools that people are working on now there's there's some really amazing stuff happening yeah there are people who are doing i can't remember what it's called i haven't i haven't read a whole lot about it but it's it's brain hacking it's Uh i can't even remember what it's called but it's consciousness hacking it's it's very it's it's fascinating well i i just a headline i haven't actually read it itself but but somebody or there there had there had been some publications just in the past couple days about um developers being able to break into people's lucid dreams 
like and com- yeah, like very very Inception esque type. I'm like thinking headline. of my past dreams that I've had. Really, really. <laughs> right? Like, how is somebody going to interact with me in this dreamscape now, where they may be awake in the that's physical world? Up. And I'm just, yeah. That's like horror movie fucked up. Yeah, I mean, that's well, just wrong. No, that's that's <laughs> the scary part about this, right? Is that like, who's at the end of the day the the ones that control the technology and what that technology is used for and, and all well, that. Well, see, and that's that's where I get all messed up with the whole garden versus computer. Computers. Because there is so much... I mean, ultimately, I think I probably like garden. Like, I mean, to have... If you had to pick whole, one or the other. Whole idea. Yeah, because cause you, you need... There's so much you need to do computers yeah you know you need power you need data storage you need servers you know blah 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 but i can walk out my door and dig a hole in my yard yeah and plant a seed and so ultimately i think i feel that's more real Mm -hmm. if we want to go with you know an agreed upon idea of real um i like computers for the tools that they are i suppose and and the the possibilities, but I also know that dip- I think there needs to be a good balance between, and this is kind of a bigger picture thing, yeah. because I think that I've met people who put so much reliance on technology that when something doesn't work, it, there's, there's, you know, they're locked out of their house or there's, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's something that's screwed. And we have to know how to do things analog as well. I think technology has great capacity for for help, but I don't think we should rely on it. I mean, it's kind of like with medicine. I don't think we should rely on one thing or the other. I think Mm -hmm. it needs to be a balance between different. Living a healthy life, eating healthy food, doing, you know, like actually, you know, living in in a way where we're not just ingesting, you know, awful (laughs) things that, that hurt our body. Right, but right, and like also acknowledging that you know there are there are medicines that take care of us, and you've got you know you've got different kinds of medicines. You know yeah. we have to acknowledge that there are there are herbal remedies yeah. that work effectively, that are amazing, that work great. I use aloe on burns, mm-hmm. but there's also Western medicine that works fa- fabulously, and we you know we need, and and you just it's God, I hate to use the word. But it, it, you have to have a holistic yeah. view of things. And I think that with technology, it's the same thing. Yeah. You know, you, you can't put all your eggs in one basket. No, God, I, that sounds stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Deep thoughts. L- 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 luckily, that sounds like the end of the podcast <laughs> for episode 92. Thank God. <laughs> of the WTF Carbonell podcast. Have a good one, folks. Whatever that one is.